we were, you know, around these buildings doing this stuff. And he said, hey, guys, hey, 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 stop what you're doing. There's landmines here. You're listening to the Living in Bosnia and Herzegovina podcast. Welcome to the Living in Bosnia and Herzegovina podcast, where we talk to interesting people and hear stories from this misunderstood, heart-shaped country in Southeast Europe. In this episode, I talk to David Harms, a Canadian who at the age of 22 was a documentary photographer for the Red Cross in 1993's war-torn Croatia, experiencing the effects of conflict and dodging mines. He came back to the region again 16 years later, only to be thrown out of one of the countries. We'll find out which one. It's quite the story. So let's crack on and find out who David Harms is. Thanks. That's a great that's a great way to do an introduction. That's good. I, I, I could maybe start by saying, in addition to uh, sharing a first name, we both have uh, miserable winter weather going on. You know, the first uh, the, the first day of March here and it's, um, you know, rainy and um, not quite snowy, but right around the freezing mark. And so it's really, uh, you know, not not the day we want to uh, kick our spring off with, but we're getting there. So I don't know, uh, talking about me, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's always a long story, I feel. But generally speaking, I, um, I, I work in the, in the communication media uh, nexus um, from photography to media analysis up to uh, now teaching in strategic communication. And so it's, uh, it's, you know, it's been a fun journey. I had a professor once who, uh, you know, when we asked him why, why you go into this uh, field of communications, he says, that's an interesting way to pass the time between birth and death. So yeah, that led me to it. I said, well, you know, you got to pick something and that's fun. But it, honestly, it's really uh, like just being in, in media of any sort and, uh, and photography specifically, it, uh, one of the great advantages is that you have to go places you know, and you get to, uh, you get to travel to a lot of really different and, and unique and interesting places. And these are, you know, these are some of the reasons that, uh, that I've been able to, to travel to, uh, to, to the Balkans a couple of times now. So, you know, I, is that it in a nutshell? Um, there's, there's always more, but we can, we can tease that out as we, as we chat. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to talk about your, your, your trips here. You're in Kitchener. Now, listen, I know that Kitchener is in, in Ontario, uh, and, and you have a media project, and I'll put the link to to it at the bottom uh, for people that are interested. And it's it's a hyper local uh, community radio platform. But I've always wondered why. Wh- and maybe you can explain this to me. Why Kitchener Waterloo is, is? I always thought there were two places, or are they one? And one is like a subdivision of the other. <laughs> this is uh, one of the greatest uh, debates in Southern Ontario, and so. The city of Kitchener and the city of Waterloo are two distinct municipalities that touch each other, and uh, they're both in the region of Waterloo. And so we often see it written as Kitchener, Kitchener Waterloo, like hyphenated because the two cities are, you know, they're really divided by um, a hilltop, which I, I live on. And uh, but they they're in the the region of Waterloo, and so often. Um, Internationally, uh, they talk a lot about Waterloo um, as a region because of the University of Waterloo. It's it's internationally renowned for its computer sciences, um, and of course the the birth of the smartphone. Right, the BlackBerry was developed here in in Waterloo uh, by a company called Research in Motion, then turned to BlackBerry. Now now back to to Research in Motion or RIM, maybe they call it. But uh, nonetheless, um, 
you know, the the smaller of the municipalities seems to have a greater international um, reputation. So it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit confusing. We have, um, you know, there's always debates going on whether we should uh, amalgamate the cities because they're basically just like two different neighborhoods. Right. Uh, and, and I have to explain that it's the the geography here is quite, you know, despite everything being large in Canada, the, the geography in this region feels quite small where. I can get to to downtown Kitchener, Kitchener walking ten minutes in one direction, and and downtown Waterloo by by walking uh, ten minutes in the other direction. But they've also interestingly branded the downtown of Waterloo as uptown to be in opposition to Kitchener. So there's a good rivalry that goes on. There's downtown Kitchener, there's uptown Waterloo, and this wonderful area in between that we live in called Midtown. At least that's what we're calling it, and 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 developing things around that. I always like uh, that. Well, it should be fun community infighting, but sometimes it doesn't. I come from London, so there's always infighting between whether you're a, a northerner, a southerner, uh, an East Ender, or a West Ender, and, and I'm a West Ender. We first met in the uh, in yeah the mid the mid noughties, I think around about 2005 time when I arrived in Ontario um, to work on a military project, and you were there, and I, I was trying to explain to people didn't know much about the Balkans, about the complexities of the area. And I remember you saying, well, I've been there before. And I went, what? And I thought, well, you, what, you were a soldier there? And you said, no, I was a photographer, which, you know, took the wind right out of my sails at the time. You were there, uh, I believe, in Croatia back in uh, 1993. Now, when I first came to Bosnia-Herzegovina, that was in 1993 in the area of a place called Tomislavgrad. Uh, and it wasn't, or, or sorry, it was anything but pleasant. I had never seen such a level of violence that human beings could do to each other. And it, it was quite traumatic, at the same time exciting, at the same time terrifying. In 1993, you were on the other side of the Dinaric Alps in Croatia. So why did you end up there as a, a, as a young photographer? It's, um, it's a really like a transformative uh, time in my life too, because I was, I was studying photography at uh, Ryerson University in, in Toronto. And really interested in photojournalism, and one of my uh, one of my colleagues uh, was um, an international student from Germany, and we were together interested in you know all the things that were going on in Europe uh, in the early '90s, and then the opportunity came up through people he knew to be able to travel to parts of Croatia uh, with the Red Cross and to be able to. Um, uh, what was the, the the task at the time was to document the effects of warfare on civilian populations. And so we thought, you know, documentary work, this is exactly the kind of stuff that we wanted to do. And all we had to do was get ourselves there. And so essentially we, you know, we went like a, a summer vacation kind of thing from, from school in the off semester, we went to Germany. And this is, so this is my first time uh, in Europe uh, at all. And, and then we drove and he had like a little Renault and, uh, and we drove from uh, Karlsruhe in, in the far western uh, edge of, of Germany, you know, all the way, uh, all the way down, sleeping in his car uh, at, different, uh, at different times. And uh, we made our way, uh, worked our way down to, to Zagreb, um, where we had sort of met our, our first contact. And it was interesting, you know, just like being in Europe for the first time and then traveling, you know, working your way towards uh, a conflict zone was it was nerve wracking, and I'll, I'll never forget one uh, one night we were. I think it was the first night we were in Zagreb, and we're we're you know we got some food somewhere, and then and then find a, a quiet place to park the car so we could sleep for the night and, and carry on in the morning. And 
you know, we were, we were woken up in the middle of the night by this, you know, this tapping sound of, you know, it's very um, specific now, but it's the tapping sound of a rifle, uh, you know, against the, the window of the car. And, and these soldiers just wanted to know what we were doing there. Well, you don't know anything about this stuff. That's, that's very, uh, very scary and very nerve wracking. And this experience, um, you know, and I'll tell you more about it, but this ultimately this experience is what led me to joining the military to be able to learn more about it. And uh, as a way of staying safe as a, as a photographer, as a photojournalist. Zagreb then and Zagreb now are, are com- two completely different cities. Um, yes, they are the same, but the, the whole ambience, everything about it, is different. I found when I when I came to this area that you know having a different language, a different culture, and you know, I, ju- I just felt like you're in a swimming pool and and you haven't got a, a clue about how to swim, and you think that everybody around you will be there to save you, and actually you feel so desperate desperately alone. After that night, did that put you off? Did you think about going back, or was it a case of the adrenaline saying no, we have to go and 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 get on with this as- assignment because what I think that you might have been exposed to afterwards, you'll tell us, was going to be far from anything of conflict Zagreb. And, and yeah, that's it. Zagreb was was far from it. And um, it's just it's just kind of nerve wracking um, because of all of a sudden, the you know, the presence of, of military people uh, all over the place. Um, but we sort of felt at the time, like, as soon as we can get to where we're going, which was was Osijek in the kind of the far east of, of Croatia, as soon as we can get there and and meet up with our local guide, then all of this will be okay because we had a place to stay then. Um, we were going to be with somebody, a uh, representative from the Red Cross who would be able to kind of take us around and, and you know, keep us safe, essentially. Uh, and so it was just the the getting there was the, the scariest part. Uh, once we got there, um, like that's, you know, that it's a whole nother world then because then you are starting to see the um, the actual impacts of the war and um, yeah it's 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 horrifying it's it's a uh, it's scary and it's it's uh, horrifying what was what was happening at the time but this was our this was our job and so we thought you know if this is the kind of thing that we that we want to do you know as a as a career uh, you'd have to you have to kind of you know swallow your your nerves a little bit and uh, and get on with it you know when when you were there. When you arrived there and you and, and you got out to do the first jobs that the Red Cross wanted you to do, and you were saying, you know, about being exposed to things that were well and truly outside the norms. Did you ever think about, you know, you being there, but your fellow students who were on vacation were either in the Caribbean or or somewhere else having a fine time, but on the other hand, they they weren't getting the experience that you were getting. Yeah, I think so because most people are are certainly doing that sort of thing for their summer. They're, you know, they're going somewhere fun, they're they're working at a resort or something, earning a little bit of money. And uh we were always of the mind that, you know, this is the important work. And this is like there's always time to have a vacation and that's and that's fine, but there's serious things going on in the world and uh as as aspiring journalists, we we were thinking that this was, you know, this is a very important story to be told. Much of the the coverage, as as you know, much of the coverage of conflict is really about you know the, the the fighting and the destruction, and not quite as much about what the impacts are are like on the on the civilian populations that are living in all these areas at the time. And I, I I'll remember like you know aspects when we're driving around this uh, this region, um, you know there was people that were showing us there's like you know a rocket or a missile or something came in through the roof of their house, uh, like through the bedroom out the window and blew up in between the two houses. 
And so the people were, the people survived, but, you know, obviously, um, you know, a very traumatic uh, experience. And then into the countryside where there was, you know, there was uh, very intense fighting and, and it became sad, you know, I mean, because you're, you're going around talking to people who are living through this and, you know, they're, they're people, I would say are like our parents' age um, that are showing us photographs of their children that are our age. They're like, you know, our kids are off now uh, fighting the war, essentially. And some, in some cases, they don't know if they're, if they're alive or not. In other cases, they, they, they do know and they're, and they're not alive. And, and it's very, it's very sad, um, of course, like, like all, all conflict is. But it was really like, as I say, for a 22-year-old to be doing this, it was such an eye-opening experience in terms of the the realities of some of the things that are going on in um, in in different parts of the world, and we thought, you know, if our if our colleagues from school are having a fun beach vacation, that's you know, it's like living with your your head in the sand, you know, where you're not all of this information is out there, you're just not paying attention to it. Whether you're a, a television journalist, a, a, a radio journalist, or a documentary photographer like you guys were, all three of those skills are basically wrapped up in one, wrapped up in one which are which is you're a storyteller and you've got to go and tell a story to a particular audience when you're seeing things that are so emotional like that especially back in in the 90s here in this very violent cauldron of of hate and whatever that was going on uh, whether it be Croatia Bosnia Herzegovina or wherever you know and you're young as well how did you sort of like get the wherewithal to to look at all this and say what's the story here was it a difficult thing to do or did you find that it just sort of like rolled off the shoulders? Yeah, I know what I want to do here. I mean, because to stand back and take five or 10 minutes to say, what is the story and how am I going to compose shots and everything with all this mayhem going on around you must be exceedingly difficult, I would have thought. Yes, exceedingly difficult, I think, is a good way to explain it. And we, at, at 22, year old, 22 years old, we had the luxury of ignorance. I would say that we um, we didn't know what the story was or what it was going to be, and so the point was just document, 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 and we'll we'll figure that out afterwards. Um, and that was that's why I say like the you know we spent we spent every day every day you know around and, and photographing in different uh, locations, and it was not until we were sort of back working with our professors uh, going through all the contact sheets and looking at all the different imagery where we were trying to sort of make sense of it all and uh, and pull through uh, you know a, a narrative structure of some sort that's going to help to tell the story but it was that uh, you know we were really relying on people who were uh, a generation older than us who knew a little bit more of the history and knew a little bit more of uh, you know the the bigger strategic picture that was going on uh, in the conflict to to help us be able to um, discern that. What was the biggest takeaway from that that period of time in in Croatia for you? That it's it was dangerous. That it was uh, it was uh, you know um, being a photojournalist. It sounds fun and sexy and glamorous, and you're going to interesting places. But it is it is dangerous. And there was you know there was I remember one situation where we were. Um, you know, we were around some some broken down buildings, like they were all sort of ex, you know uh, exploded. The top half of the buildings were were missing, and our guide from the Red Cross was you know was meeting with the landowner, and so they're sort of on the street talking, and we were moving around taking photographs in different areas, and you know like like kids getting away from you when you're having a conversation. We were 
you know, around these buildings doing this stuff. And he said, hey, guys, hey, 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 stop what you're doing. There's landmines here. And as soon as somebody says landmines and you're walking in the in the tall grass around buildings, like the the terror that comes over you, just like frozen, you know, not being able to move, not being able to take another step. And it's like, what do you mean? And so he, you know, he smartly directed us, uh, you know, we basically climbed back up onto the walls of the of this building and and worked our way back, um, you know, towards the the street and and towards safety. But it was really like that alone was was the you know I think I often think about it as like that was the catalyst that led me to to joining the military. That specifically, yeah. There was another uh, another colleague from our school at the time. He was in a different year, so we didn't know him personally. Um, but he had also gone that summer, and uh, um, he, we were in Croatia. He was in Bosnia, and and he was killed. Um, and he was killed in the, in the conflict, um, you know, as a, as a student, as a photographer. And so it was just like, you know, you're thinking what a, you know, what a, a tragic loss. Um, and of course, you know, this is, this is one person, but it's, um, you know, for the people we're meeting with or they're just, you know, the losses is, is immeasurable. So many aspects of that, as I say, from the specific things around safety and, and learning about what militaries do as a way to, to stay safer, uh, to just, um, gaining an empathy for others that I, I previously didn't have. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you would like to support us and the production of future episodes, then please consider maybe buying us a coffee. The link to do that is in the show notes for this podcast. We'll talk, we'll talk about your second visit to the area in, in just a minute, but I want to fire this one at you because you, you're a professor now in, in, in an educational institution which deals with with the media and you're advising and you're mentoring uh, a whole new generation of young people that, you know, will be you in, I don't know, 20 years time or, or whatever it is. When you see the current drench of misinformation, disinformation, and a little bit of truth as stories on the media that we have access to today, and having had that experience all those years, and that must have been an amazingly impactful uh, experience that you had when you when you when you take what you've actually experienced and you see what is going on now how easy or how difficult maybe is it when you get asked questions by your students about hey David what about this what about this look I've seen this you know we're gonna we're gonna be creating content or telling stories uh, in the future how, how would you advise we go about it what, what's the feeling inside when you get asked those questions now I, I'm I'm always amazed at at how um, basically how how smart students are today, and, and certainly it's a it's a consequence of growing up in the in the media environment, right? Growing up as as digital natives, and so when I compare it back to that time period, it's it's like we were you know we were living in simpler times, right? There was no well, certainly there was no social media. There was just the 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 early parts of uh, you know the World Wide Web were were getting out. Um, I said, you know, we were shooting uh, film uh, at the time, and you know, when I when I look back at the um, the timeline of this, like I uh, would have gotten my first email address um, the year following this trip, and so you know, this was still a very much an analog world. You have to wait for the newspapers to come out, and and so on and so forth. And now students really seem to you know, having grown up in this environment where there's just so many competing uh, perspectives and competing opinions, they they seem to do a pretty good job of uh, wading their way through all of that 
to be able to to find and rely on on trusted sources. And so, yes, there's a lot of noise, and yes, there's a lot of uh, competing opinions and whatnot. But they tend to be able to identify some of the the key sources that that they have come to trust, and um, and and you know use that or rely on that for the credible information they need. We worked together for I don't know two and a half years. Um, won't go into that at all because we keep the audience sort of like, ooh, what's going on back there, so they can make their own minds up. But we were in essence in the storytelling business. I certainly learned a lot more about storytelling than I'd ever thought I'd known before, and I'm sure you did too. And then we we bumped into each other again. Uh, I'd left Canada, uh, was back in Southeast Europe, in Kosovo, actually. And you were doing your PhD, and you came here to look at different media uh, as part of, of, of the thesis that you were putting together. I don't think it's classified anymore, if, even if it ever was at the time. But what fascinated you about coming back to this particular region to research something for your future career? I was studying uh, international broadcasting and looking specifically at how um, international broadcasting is being used in in different uh, state building or nation building contexts. And of course, Afghanistan was the, the mission that was um, at the forefront for most people at that time period. But I thought the the interesting part of the study is always to see, you know, not what's happening in the here and now, but what's happening, you know, a decade or or more after the fact. And so how do we start to look at the long term impacts of, of some of these projects? And so studying radio in, in Afghanistan really gave the here and now perspective. But I thought it would be an interesting approach to be able to look at the impacts of some of these stations that were in, in southwestern Europe. and be able to sort of compare what the impacts would look like. And so to say, you know, did this did this have any sort of enduring change or impact on the community at the time? Like obviously it does at the time, but but does something stick around after the fact? And so it was, you know, it was a good opportunity to be able to go and look at some of the ones that were happening uh, in, in Kosovo, in Bosnia, and then up into, uh, back up into Croatia. I mean, you you were doing your research, but how did you find the region had changed since you were there before. Okay, accepted it was peaceful, but did it give you a view of what you thought it might look like the years before when you were actually the, the you know, the, the documentary photographer? Because at some time you must have thought, what's, what's this place going to look like when all this settles down? And then you go back when it has settled down. Did it join up or were you surprised, shocked or disappointed? All, all of the above. Yeah, surprised, shocked and, and, and disappointed uh, all at once. Part of the uh, the direction, the itinerary of the trip was going to um, was going to was going to take me back to Osiek, and uh, that was that was one of the the points of being there is to be able to go back, you know, all those years later to see a town that really, you know, it really, uh, I say, took a pounding uh, during the war, and I was very curious to see what would you know what would it, it be like afterwards, and so. If you remember, I, I came to see you first in Kosovo and as a way of, you know, uh, acclimatizing to the region a little bit before uh, getting on my way. Yeah, getting, uh, what you actually mean to say is getting used to Rakia. Getting used to Rakia. Yeah, of course. <laughs> getting your, <laughs> getting my, my tolerance uh, up again. Yeah. Honestly, like, because, you know, we had the, the joke about it from the, um, from the first trip where, you know, you're meeting people at 10 o'clock in the morning and, and uh, you know, you might be. Um, you know, having a drink with people, and and we'd say, you know, my friend asked our 
fixer what the the drinking and driving rules were like and he laughed and he said it looks around you know and there's just all these bombed out buildings and stuff he's like we have bigger problems than that <laughs> and so uh you know I, I i knew a little bit about uh, uh the culture and what to expect um but yes there is a, a certain amount of acclimatizing required again and so you know, we had we had uh, all the um, successes in in Kosovo that we needed to have relative to the research and to conducting interviews and so forth. And it was when I was trying to get on my way uh, to go north where that changed again a little bit. And I'm not sure if you remember at the time, David, but we um, sort of after you know a final night uh, with you guys, um, packed my bags uh, and got on a bus in the morning. And the intent was to go north up to uh, to Belgrade and then uh, to Novi Sad, and this was in July. And so I had this brilliant plan of being able to go to the to the Exit Music Festival, and then you know just from there uh, go back across uh, the river and and over to to Osijek. And I thought you know this will be a great way to experience some new things, see some new places, and then also return back to some some places that I'd been before. And that, of course, you know, the best laid plans were uh, were uh, scuttled by, um, well, some passport problems, we might say. Do you remember this? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, uh, because you tried to cross from Kosovo into Serbia and Serbia found that quite um, insulting. And I do believe that they made you walk back across no man's land with your heavy bag. That's right. And it was really, this was, um, you know, right when you think you have all the best plans and everything. And as I say, it was, you know, on this bus going going north and at the the border area, uh, getting out of Kosovo into, into uh, Serbia proper. Yeah, when the bus pulled over and they were checking everybody's passports, um, they looked at mine and, and, and said some things. And it was, it was really like, it was a little bit nerve wracking because the bus really went quiet. Like everybody, everybody on the bus went quiet. Um, everybody just looking straight forward. And these, you know, these border guards were, you know, starting to raise their voice. And, and of course I didn't know what they were saying, um, but I could, obviously it was directed at me. And then somebody uh, nearby who, uh, who spoke English said they, you know, they say you have to get off the bus. And, you know, of course I protested and, and, you know, asked why and they explained you know, because you're in the country illegally is all they said. Not being one to argue with armed uh, border guards, I, I got off the bus and and grabbed my my backpack and uh, and watched the bus drive away. And it was a really it was a, a bizarre experience being all alone, uh, sort of in in the countryside with my backpack. And I looked and I had you know my water bottle and I had like you know two inches of water left in my water bottle. The sun is beating down. It's July, and uh, and I was you know, a little bit dehydrated from the night before. And so I just started thinking like, well, what am I going to do now? I uh, I walked back a little bit because uh, I knew, I, I remember I had seen there was a, not a NATO checkpoint, but it was a, um, I'm trying to remember the name. There was a, a, a force, of the, essentially a NATO force, uh, but it had a different name. K4 maybe? K4, yeah, K4. Yeah, yeah. K4. And, uh, and so there was a, a K4 checkpoint there. And so I, I thought I could go in and, and certainly there's going to be people who speak English there and they can provide me with some uh, advice. I did that and went back and, and there was a German officer there who was like, oh, and he explained the whole thing to me. He's like, yeah, well, you flew into a place that they don't recognize. And so you have a Kosovo stamp in your passport, but no entry stamp into Serbia. And so they would have said, you're in the, in the country illegally and you cannot proceed. 
And that's why they kicked me out. You know, it was a little bit sad that I didn't get to go to the music festival. I didn't get to go back around to, uh, to Ozziek, but it did uh, put me on a whole new adventure to kind of get up back up that way, uh, north through the countryside and, um, just a brilliant trip following that planes, trains, and automobiles, you know, in and out of, uh, from, from Kosovo to Montenegro and, and so on and so forth, uh, all the way, uh, all the way back up to Zagreb. You know, when you, with the experiences that you've had, you've been able to harness those and it supported you now to be somebody that is, uh, as I said before, uh, responsible for bringing on a whole new generation of young media professionals you know when you go back to that start when you were going through your educational process when you were at Ryerson with your professors how does it make you feel now that you're that professor that's the first part of this question the second part of this question is what is your view of these new young people because it doesn't matter whether you've been in the military or you've been a coal miner or you've been an office worker people historically say oh they were different in my day how how do you feel things have impacted you as a professor and and to what do you think of this new generation coming along that you're going to be responsible for yeah i I feel a lot of responsibility uh to them for sure uh mostly because i you know i benefited greatly from um you know the the wisdom of professors that i had while i was coming through and and being able to not not just taking classes with them but being able to assist on research projects and and travel together to uh to go to conferences and these sort of things and so there was almost like a a mentorship as much as just you know just uh the regular parts of the education and so yeah i feel like uh you know i i benefited tremendously from that experience while i was a student and now you know on the flip side of that coin where i'm a professor i really look to how i can sort of you know, return the favor and, uh, and help students today with that, just that kind of little extra, like something that's just over and above what they're doing in the classes already, helping to have people, you know, achieve meaningful, uh, meaningful things in their, in their education process. And of course, it's been, it's been tough over the last uh, couple of years because of the pandemic, but certainly we're getting back to that type of situation now where, you know, where we can, um, be out of the out of the classroom and uh, experiencing, um, you know, everything from from field trips to uh, learning experiences that way to going on um, other other ways to get to uh, conferences and these sorts of things. You just mentioned the pandemic there, and now that we can, I hope, sort of like get traveling again. What would you be happy to to see your students come up with? I mean, back in the day, it was, hey, me and my friend, we're going to go off to Croatia and do some documentary photography in, uh, in a conflict zone, which must have said to your professors at the time, what? That's wild and wacky and very unusual, good for you. What would you consider to be an exciting thing when your students come up to you and say, hey, prof, this is what we're going to be doing during our semester? What, what, would, what would surprise you? When they, when they get out into the, into the community to work with you know, real life people and real life organizations, um, that's always motivating. And because I, I teach a, an international public relations course where they start to explore things around the world and seeing how many places that people have an interest in traveling to, because again, they're, you know, they're young and they haven't, haven't really had opportunities to do much yet. And so when I see their, their interest and their, and their connection for whatever reason to different parts of the world, 
it, it gives me great hope. And I, you know, I recommend their, um, that they, you know, they travel at any, um, any opportunity that they have, because, you know, obviously life gets a little bit more complicated uh, as you get older and, and your ability to just, you know, pick up and go for three months or something like this is, is harder to do. And so that's something I, I try to encourage people to do at that stage in their life. And also, you know, through that experience where we were able to volunteer our time with the, with the Red Cross as a way of facilitating that entire trip. And so it's something that I do recommend with a lot of people to, in the areas they want to go and the issues that they want to, to study and be involved with is to, to look at a lot of the, the, the NGOs, the non-governmental organizations that are there and see if they can, if they can volunteer their time or get a job or whatever the case is, but some way where they're going to work with an organization that's going to take them to another part of the world. Cause there is a very big difference between the experiences that you, uh, you have when you go somewhere as a tourist compared to the experiences you get when you go somewhere to work. Because you often go to a lot more uh, smaller cities or, or secondary sort of places that you wouldn't normally go. They're, they're certainly off the tourist trail, as well as just the, the, the types of people that you meet, like the, you know, the things like boredom, things like waiting and having to use city buses and stuff like this. And, and a lot of people, you know, you go to a beach and you're not experiencing those kinds of things. But when you're when you're having to take public transit to work in the morning in some remote area that you really, you know, you really start to understand what the local culture is like, what people's routines are, you know, from grabbing breakfast uh, on the go to where you're getting your, your coffees and, and these sorts of things. And, and to me, that's, you know, that is always the, the most enriching part of traveling is to be able to um, experience the culture in a way that is uh, authentic. They say, you know, especially when you get to my age, and I'm older than you. I'm not going to tell you how much. But they always say, you never stop learning in life. And, and, and I, I, I sign up to that. So finally, David, because I've had you now for almost 40 minutes, what is next for David Harms and his involvement with media? Well, as you, as you mentioned, we've been focusing a lot on the, the radio station here in, in Kitchener-Waterloo. And this has been a great, uh, it's been a, we started it before the pandemic, but it's been a great pandemic project because everyone, you know, is stuck at home and uh, we were already set up reasonably well to, you know, to do this uh, digitally. But for me now, um, I, I feel like the next, the next big stage is, is getting back out into the world and uh, um, being able to do more uh, documentary photography work, more photojournalism and continue to, um, you know, explore and have some of these experiences that, um, you know, that are not uh, available to a lot of people. And so being able to, in, in some way, you know, bring some of those experiences to people, bring, bring that knowledge to, uh, to kind of a wider audience, I think is, is really valuable. And it's, uh, it's, it's a very rewarding work, very interesting work. And yeah, usually like a great amount of interest in it, as I say, because if people aren't able to get there themselves, they really, they do like the, the photographic aspect um, as much as any, anything else. David, thank you very much indeed for the storytelling aspects of the Balkans as far as, uh, as it's uh, had an impact uh, on you. I don't think, as I say, that we're ever over learning, which um, is quite sad today because hey the human race is still carving itself up except this time in central europe so hopefully that will uh, that will dissipate david thank you very much for being with us this morning from the hill overlooking kitchener and uh, waterloo and i hope it won't be too long before uh, you're back here because we do exceedingly nice rakia you sure do 
And and I I have to say I can't wait to get back because of the you know I I got to see a lot of things on uh, those previous tri- previous trips. But one of the things you know every time you go to the Balkans you see is you know how how much more there is to learn and to experience. And uh, you know I think about you know from the music festival I didn't get to go to to starting to learn about other parts of of Montenegro and Albania and places that I haven't been able to get to yet there's just still there's so many interesting areas around there and it's so close it's so easy to travel around by bus or by train or however you're moving and so one of the great to me one of the great uh things of, of traveling around the region that you um have adopted as your home so it's a great place can't wait to can't wait to come back and see everyone again david harms professor in media at the university of waterloo in canada well thanks so much for listening if you would like to support this podcast then please consider leaving a review or maybe buy us a coffee the link is in the show notes oh and why not share this podcast with friends or anyone who you think might be interested until next time then from tamara and me please do stay safe wherever you are